right, can you hear me now? All right, good morning. Um, wow, this is my first time here, and I am so excited. Pastor Terrence told me that this was a fantastic church, and he was not kidding. In the short time I've been here, I've been so welcome. So I wanted to say thank you to all of you and to your team, because this has been wonderful already. So... On the drive over here this morning, I made a comment. I said to my dad, I said, it's so bright outside because when you come from Walla Walla, there's snow all over the hills, and there's just so much light in your eyes. And I hadn't done this drive in a while, and I said, this is just beautiful. And I, and I was reflecting on kind of the winter that we've been having here in the Northwest, and I know that you guys a couple of weeks ago got, got hit pretty hard with a snowstorm. And Walla Walla did too. And so I started thinking about this winter. And I kind of was thinking about, wow, what, as hard as it has been, it has also been beautiful because I love snow. I love looking at snow. Uh, driving in it is a little bit different, but I love snow. And this winter, um, I don't know if you've ever been to Walla Walla's campus, but you have to walk pretty far. Well, not super far, but you have to walk a decent ways to get to your classes from your dorm or where you parked or anything. And so I started noticing something as I was walking, because when you walk in the snow, you look at your steps to make sure you're going in the right way. <laughs> um, and I started noticing that the snow actually reveals something that we can't see when it is not here. And the snow reveals, it shows footsteps of where people travel. It shows where people come from and where they go. And not only does it show that, it shows you where most people come from and most people go. For example, we have a street on our campus named College Avenue that um, they recently redid and it's a little bit slick in the winter, and so some of their crosswalks, if you can see the most traveled spot, you know, that's the place I want to walk. I don't want to walk on this icy spot because I don't want to fall on the way to my class. So there are, you can see where people go, and chances are the place that pe most, the most people have walked is the safest route to go. But in addition to seeing where most people go, snow also reveals the occasional footprints of people who decide to do a different thing. Um, you'll occasionally see some lone footprints off in a untouched area of snow, and you think, why did you do that? Um, but you see these footprints, and sometimes depending on the, uh, the snow around it, you can see if that was a successful attempt or not successful. But this is what I learned from the snow this winter. And I realized that these steps are taken rather impulsively because somebody thinks, I have the ability to travel in this other way that I think will be successful. I don't know if it will, but I'm going to find out. And so it's a very self-centered, impulsive decision to take those steps away from the main path, the safest path. And so, in reflection of this, we actually can find several examples in the Bible. And today we're going to look at one found in Matthew chapter 14, starting at verse 22. So, I invite you to join with me in whatever form of the Bible you have with you, whether it's a Bible or your phone or the app. I heard you guys have a Bible on your app. I invite you to join with me as we look at this story. 
So, a little bit of context about this story. This story happens just after Jesus has fed the 5,000. This is one of the prime examples in prime moments in Jesus' career. So, in Scripture says, immediately. So, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there all alone. So just imagine that you have just seen Jesus do this, like, miraculous thing. There's so much food everywhere. There's so many people. And you're like, wow, Jesus, this is really great. And then he's like, okay, bye. You're going to go across the lake now. I'm I'm just going to go take a minute. I'm just going to take a break. Um, But you're going to cross this. You're going to cross this water. And so they're actually at the Sea of Galilee at this point. Um, the Sea of Galilee is one of the, I think it's one of the biggest bodies of water in Israel. And it was also known for fishing. And so most of these disciples actually were former fishermen. So this shouldn't be a problem. You know, they know how to sail. They should be fine. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land For a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting the heavy waves. The combination of waves and wind is very important for the movement of a boat. Because if the combination is too high or too mighty, the boat won't move. Or even worse, the boat will move in the wrong direction intended. At this point, this is when Jesus intervenes. We read in scripture, about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it is a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Now, this is interesting. This is an interesting statement because in the ancient times, a god and its function was defined by the name. So meaning, if the god didn't have a name, the god didn't have a function. And if the god didn't have a function, the god didn't have a name. So when Jesus says, take courage, I am here, it's kind of ambiguous. So so the disciples are in this boat, and they're like, so this force is telling us he's coming, but we don't know he, what he's going to do for us. We don't recognize him. Um, and so there's a lot of fear on what presence is coming towards them. Then Peter, Peter decides to take the situation into his own hands. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Now, this is actually a very impulsive statement because here's the thing. Peter, if you look at this, Peter isn't interested in the comfort that Jesus is bringing. Peter is interested in proving if it's really Christ walking towards them on the water. You see, Jesus was there to help, but Peter had a different intention. Peter wanted to be the one right. Peter wanted to say, hey, I'm just going to walk on this water. I'm going I'm to use this opportunity. And so that's what he decides to do. Peter decides that he's going to prove Christ's identity, that he has the power to do this thing that nobody else does. 
And so Jesus decides to play this game. He says, yes, come. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. Now just imagine for a second what it's like to get out of a boat, touch the water, and not sink. So think about it like this. So think about a pool that you've been to. You know how they have like the lower diving board and the higher diving board? Imagine jumping off one of those diving boards and not sinking into the water. So we don't have any indication of how big this boat was, but just imagine for Peter to have to climb over the edge and hit the water. That must have been something that he probably had second thoughts about. I can just imagine him climbing out going, oh, no, um, this is not going to go well. So, so Peter goes over the side of the boat, and Scripture says he walks on the water towards Jesus. Now, I've actually always wondered about this because did he actually walk did he run? Did he do this weird, wait, I'm wet and I'm not sinking, what's going on? What, what did he do? But we do know this, verse 30, but when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. So here's the thing. Peter is in front of Jesus. He can see Jesus. At this point, he's like, That's the guy who's coming to save us. I know him. Things should be fine, right? But he gets distracted. Scripture says he sees the strong wind and the waves, and he was terrified. But but can you see the wind? Have you ever seen the wind? I've never seen the wind. I know in movies there's animations of like, It's like twirling and stuff, but can you actually see what wind looks like? You can't, but you can see the effects of wind. So one example of this is a boat. We're talking about water and boats, so why not expand on this even more? So when I was young, I had the chance to learn how to sail at summer camp on these little tiny sailboats that our camp had. And I remember thinking, this is really cool. This looks really, really easy. But I soon realized, once I got into the boat, that it was not easy because on the first day, actually, it wasn't windy at all. So we're kind of just sitting in this little sailboat like, okay. Um, But the next day, it happened to be really windy. And I was still trying to figure out, how do these little sailboats work? Uh, what, what's, what's, you know, I know what a sail is. I don't know what it is to steer, but they taught us, the first thing they taught us is that there is this, this rod that holds the sail. And I forget what it's called, but this rod has to be in the right spot because if it's not in the right spot, it won't hold the sail the right way, which means it won't catch the wind the right way, which means the boat is not going to move or worse the wind is going to hit the sail too hard, and the boat is going to overturn into the water. I was nine. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And so I remember it was my job, because they assigned us to a team, it was my job to make sure that this, uh, this sail was in the right way. And so I remember fighting with this sail all week, and finally we got it. But I realized something. If you don't have 
the sail in the right place, you're not going to get the right energy from the wind. You're not going to get the right energy. You're not going to move forward. You're going to move to the side or you're going to move backwards. Because when you have waves, when you have waves pushing the boat and it's pushing it back, you want to go forward. But sometimes if you don't align the sail the right way, you're just going to go backwards. So sometimes we see these negative effects, but here's the thing. You can also align the sail the positive way so the boat can move. So what does this mean for Peter? Peter, all, it says he sees the wind and the destruction. And so Peter is choosing to see, he's choosing to be afraid of something he can't see. He's looking around, and chances are he's looking, and wind picking up water is spraying in his eyes, which prohibits from seeing anyway. And so Peter, at this point, is not choosing to focus on Jesus, who's right in front of him. He's focusing on a little wave over here that was blown by the wind, which he can't see, when the very person who created the wind and the water is right in front of him. And then he says, save me, Lord. And he cries out when he realizes that the faith he thought he had and the intention for his faith was failing. And that's when he realizes, oh, this is God in front of me. This isn't just some other um, ancient God whose function is defined by his name. Peter realizes when he sees Jesus, this is God. And he begins to sink. But here's the thing. Verse 31 says that Jesus is within reach. Peter was not away from Jesus. Peter was close to Jesus. When sometimes in life, when you feel that you are seeking, sometimes we feel we are distant from God. But here's the thing. We're not because he's right there. Jesus couldn't reach and get Peter from feet away. Peter had to be right there. So sometimes we might feel that Christ is too far out of reach when we make a mistake, but in reality, he's actually coming towards us closer. He's coming towards us because he knows that we will need the help. Jesus was on his way to rescue the disciples before that they knew that they needed help. And here's the thing. This is one of Peter's most vulnerable moments that we read in the Gospels. And what's interesting is that with this moment, and we know that he'll deny Jesus later, he's always in the presence of God. It's not God all like off somewhere else in a different town. Jesus is literally within vicinity. And so from this story, this is a prime example that sometimes when we're vulnerable in our spiritual journey... We're not distant from God because Jesus knew what Peter needed. And so in Peter's most vulnerable moments, Jesus was literally right there every time. So if you feel like you're in a time when you're vulnerable and you maybe have made a mistake, know that you're not away from him. He's right there. He knows that you're going to need rescuing before you even know it. In verse 31, when Jesus rescues Peter... He says, you have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? And it's interesting that no answer is included in this account. I've always wondered this. I read and read and read, and I could not find an answer. 
And so if you think about this, we have two options. If answered, what would Peter say? What would Peter say? Because like I said earlier, Peter was a fisherman. He should know how to be on the water. You see, because fishermen actually would go out and sail at night when nobody else was really on the water. That was when they did their fishing. Peter was familiar with water. He should know how wind and waves work. And here's the other thing. This isn't Peter's first day on the job with Jesus. This isn't his first day because what happened before this story? Jesus fed 5,000 people. He fed 5,000 people. And if you look through all the previous chapters in Matthew, Jesus has raised the dead, fed multitudes, and he's actually acknowledged the disciples as his family. Peter should have had every confidence that God was going to take care of him. But he didn't. The other option we have for this question is maybe this is a rhetorical question. You know those rhetorical questions that people ask you that they don't really want you to answer, but they want you to think about? For example, sometimes when I was a kid, um, when I would get in trouble, my parents would ask a question. And the point of this question was for me to think about what I had done and what maybe I should have done. And if Peter, we're all human here, so Peter, likely part of humanity, would sit down and think, what should I have done? What happened? He was probably an overthinker. He probably would be thinking about what he should have done. And here's the thing. When we replay our mistakes, we look at every single thing we've done. And Peter would have probably noticed this. Jesus did not just step in to rescue him, but Peter had to step out. Peter had to move out of the boat. Peter did actually prove who Jesus was, but he didn't do it in the way that he intended to. He proved that Jesus was right about his identity as well. He took literally very impulsive but bold steps of faith. And when it didn't go his way, Jesus doesn't say, told you so. He says, all right, we're going to talk about this, but I'm not, you're not in trouble for this. He doesn't turn Peter's footsteps to a path of shaken footsteps, but to a path of solid faith. And I think that's interesting because this is on water. Water is not solid unless it's ice. And so here's the thing. If Peter can have solid steps of faith on water, what does that say about what our lives can do today? Because here's the thing. Peter was willing to step out of that boat. Christ was willing to meet him, but Peter had to step out of that boat. He may have been an impulsive person, but boy, was Peter genuine. In life, we may take steps of faith that may or may not go well. We may rise or we may fall. We may swim or we may sink. But we will not fail because Christ will not let us fail. 
when we take those bold steps of faith towards Christ. It's beautiful that only two chapters after this occurs in Matthew 16, they find themselves at a place called Caesarea Philippi. And that place was known as a place of the gathering place of the gods, and it also had connections with the entrance of what people thought was hell. And this is the point where Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, who do you say I am? And it's Peter who's the first one to answer, you're the son of God. And I don't think that was just a coincidence. I think Jesus was preparing Peter to know who he was and what his function was. So in a time of uncertainty, at a place where he would be contested, Peter could say in front of his disciples, this is the Son of God. And that verse, that section, is what built our Christian church today. You see, we might not have had that if Peter had not stepped out of that boat. In his biblical commentary, theologian William Barclay writes, But Peter never finally failed. For always in the moment of his failure, he clutched at Christ. The wonderful thing about him is that every time he fell, he rose again. And it it must have been true that even his failures brought him closer and closer to Jesus Christ. So we're all sitting in a boat right now. We're being tossed and turned on a sea called life. We will struggle to guide our boat in the direction we think it should go, and sometimes we won't know how to work the sail. We won't know how to go this way or that way, and we'll get pushed back from where we wanted to go. It'll be difficult to work with the idea of movement when we're stuck in one place because our efforts aren't enough or our intentions weren't good. We'll be frightened of what we can't see could do to us, and we will be impulsive. We will be impulsive like Peter. Maybe you're like Peter in the way that you have seen God work and you just didn't trust him in something. And this connects with the idea that maybe you're like Peter in the way that he's not familiar with Christ because he doesn't recognize him yet. Like you knew him earlier, like Peter knew him earlier, but maybe he's calling you to do something and you just don't quite have that trust. It's a very vulnerable place, but here's the thing. Jesus met Peter where he was at. Peter volunteered to move to him. Like Peter, our impulsiveness will bring us one step closer to Christ. Because the closer we get to God, the more meaningful his rescue can be. And that rescue is going to look different for all of us. But God's rescues have a common denominator. And that is his intentionality. Jesus didn't agree to call Peter out because he wanted to make Peter feel bad about his faith. He, and he didn't want Peter to feel like his faith wasn't enough or he had to fit into a formula. He called Peter out because he knew each step he took was a learning process of faith. Peter's intention was for his steps to get proof of who Christ was. 
But Jesus' intentions for his steps was to be proof of who Christ was. And that proof was proof that the faith that we have in God and the rescue he gives us is unconditional, sustaining, and it's full of love. Today, we are encouraged to read this and hear the words of Christ and step out of that boat. Whatever that means for each of us, God's not calling us to move backwards. He's calling us to move forwards. It's going to mean taking some bold steps, but those steps will bring you closer to the one who created the water that you'll be walking on. He created the wind that you'll be afraid of. But he's right in front of you, and he's going to be right there if you sink. And sometimes you will sink, but you notice that Peter didn't drown And Peter didn't say, okay, I'm done with water. I'm done with fishing. We're not going to do this again. Peter goes back. Peter did not stop his life because his faith wasn't enough for Christ once. Peter keeps going. And I encourage us to do the same today. Sometimes getting out of that boat is going to be really scary. But it's going to be worth it. Because Christ wasn't in that boat. Christ was out of the boat. Because he was out of the boat, Peter grew. And because Peter grew, Peter confessed who he was. And because Christ had this authority and identity, he built a church. You see, sometimes bold steps impact much more than we think they will. So it is my prayer that as we conclude Think about something that maybe Christ is calling you to get out of the boat for. Because it might just be a simple thing like acknowledging God is there, but who knows what it will lead to? Who knows what those bold steps will lead you to? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your love and your provision for us. I thank you for calling us out of the boat, not because you want to teach us a lesson, because you want us to be a lesson to others. And I'm wondering about the disciples who were still in that boat. I wonder what it was like for Peter to get back in and know that he had faith unique. You see, Peter wouldn't have that faith if he didn't step out and meet Christ where he was at. And so, God, I just pray that if there is someone here today who wants to find you, who wants to find your identity, I ask that you call them out of that boat and you reach out and you don't let them sink because you will let their faith be an example of your goodness and what it means to follow you. God, I thank you for this church. This is a wonderful church, and I'm so honored to be in their presence today. I ask that you bless them and bless all of us here. Thank you for the gift of worship and for allowing us to be here. We are so grateful. It is in your holy name I pray. Amen. Amen. What an amazing message. What an on-time message, right?